Hi, and welcome to Whole Heart Transformation. I am Melissa Alguera, your personal identity life coach. Let's go to the podcast. Hey, you guys, welcome to Whole Heart Transformation. Today, I want to talk about the discussion around being a betrayed partner myself and what I have learned the last four years of walking this journey of recovery, becoming a coach, quitting my old job and from being a hairdresser for multiple years. And then what I really want to extend as somebody who has been betrayed, knows what it's like to be shattered like a mirror, like that mirror behind me that, you know, if that mirror was completely shattered, this is what betrayal trauma does to a person who's been betrayed. And I also want to really talk about a subject that you don't hear as much now in our recovery circles and why I think it's super important to face the reality of what partners are experiencing and um, the people who have done the betraying who have had either some sort of sex addiction or chronic infidelity or porn addiction. So let's get into it. One of the things that I did not know when I started this journey with my husband was that the addiction piece was really the least of the problems. I thought, oh my gosh, like once the addiction is done, we'll like be able to connect again. We'll be able to heal. I mean, it's just like such a fantasy. You're like in totally like you're like in la la land when you're coming out of the journey of like, you know, freak out from discovering what your partner has been doing in secrecy. And I really thought like, once he stops cheating, once he stops looking at porn, like once he stops doing all this horrific behavior, like it's all going to be roses and beautiful and, and whatever. Right. And then we started our recovery journey and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many things that I had no idea about my husband, like the person that he was underneath the addiction, because the addiction kept him so numb and in a place where it seemed like he was a regulated person that I even remember thinking, oh my gosh, like he's a better parent than me because he could show up for our daughter at night. Like she would cry and I'd be like losing, losing my stuff, like over the fact that she would be crying in the middle of the night at times. And she had sleep issues. And so that was part of it, not just like the normal, like baby stuff, but she had sleep issues. Oh, I wonder why. Well, obviously there was a lot happening in our home that was under this basement that I had no idea about. And so there was that she was feeling things and sensing things too, even though we didn't know what was going on um, with Malachi at the time, uh, we didn't know Symphony and I, my daughter, Um, but there was a feeling of uneasiness and she was feeling that. And I was just constantly uneasy. So I didn't know what I was feeling. I just felt uneasy all the time. And so she had sleep issues and he was able to get up with her and like be present with her and be kind and sweet. And I had like no patience for her stuff. Like I could not even sit with it. And I did not know why he could sit with it. And so after he got into recovery and got started to get in touch with his emotions. Then he kind of started to change. His patient level was way less. He was like not able to be as what seemed like being present before. 
And his own emotional experiences were happening based on what he was experiencing because he was in touch with it. And so that was one of the pieces that I realized early on in the recovery journey. Oh man, like he doesn't really have the patience that I thought that he had. He was just numb. And so he had patience because he was numb. So you can feel fine about sitting with anybody in their experience when you are numb, like, cause you're not feeling anything, obviously. So that was kind of one of the first indicators that things were not as they seemed throughout our whole 13 years of marriage. That's when I found out about his addiction. And then there's this other piece that is not talked about a lot, and it's the emotional deficiencies of somebody who has been using addiction in order to numb and escape. We are emotional people. We are emotional beings. Our body holds emotion when it does not get processed through. Our body holds memories and beliefs. It has all kinds of stuff that just stays trapped in it if it's not processed through. And when you numb and escape, you are numbing and escaping all of these trapped experiences inside. You are numbing and escaping character development, like what it is to be a character, you know, a person of character, what it is to be a person who is empathetic and a, a good listener and somebody who is not selfish or self-centered. All of those things you learn throughout, you know, zero to 25. And so if you're numbing and escaping those things, once you're done, done numbing and escaping, you are left with wherever you started the addictive behavior. You're literally left. And so your partner who you've betrayed, who needs you to show up for them emotionally, you're not able to show up for them emotionally because you're coming from this big deficit of like a two-year-old or like, you know, an eight-year-old. Most, most people that I know um, in my husband's age range were exposed to pornography around 11. That's the real common age is 11. But now they're saying eight. Um, and so, and then, and then if you didn't have the emotional attunement that you needed as a child, that already like sets you back deficiency wise. And that was, that was my husband's story there. He didn't have the attunement emotionally to become a healthy adult. And so with that being said, like, if you don't have the emotional attunement and then you find pornography to numb the fact that you didn't get seen or heard or validated emotionally, then you're really deficient. So it's like not not even having um, development in these emotional areas. And we're telling partners of people who've been using addiction, it doesn't even have to be sex. It could be alcohol or drugs even. We are telling partners to move towards people who are extremely deficient. And the partners are calling BS on it because well, they have no affect. That's what you express in your face and in your body and in your tone. When you look at me, I have a lot of expression. I have a lot of expression in my tone. I move with my body. People who have been addicted, they tend to be monotone. They tend to not express anything in their face. They don't really move with their hands and their body. They, they have learned to shut all that down because either it wasn't acceptable in their home, which is the majority of what I find with people who have been addicted to pornography um, and sex. Um, or they they were also releasing an oxytocin chemical in their brain when they were masturbating 
and ejaculating to a still-faced picture. And I actually want to do um, a little uh, survey on this because I, I find it to be interesting that oxytocin, which is the bonding chemical for, uh, it's like for babies even, like when babies are nursing, the oxytocin is being released into their brain. It's a bonding chemical. And so then also when you ejaculate or orgasm, you are having that same experience. So if you are, you know, ejaculating to a still faced picture or a person who's not looking at you. I mean, all of these things, or even if you have like a person on a live screen or whatever, it's pixelated. It's not really, um, a, it's not a human in, in present form, you know? So you're bonding to a dissociated, disconnected way. You're, you're actually bonding in that way. You're, you're bonding and disconnection ultimately, and we are wired for connection. We have to have connection in order to be healthy human beings. We have to have connection in order to develop our character. We have to have connection in order to grow as from zero to 25. I say this all the time and obviously beyond, but we have to have connection. And when we didn't have connection and we use something to numb and escape, we are extremely deficient. And so partners are often going towards the addicted person to get their emotional needs met because a lot of partners actually aren't emotionally deficient. Maybe they maybe they have some places where they need character work. I know I was one of them. I struggled with certain boundaries. I had a lot of fear and connection. And so those are things that I had to work through. But once I had the actual support to have boundaries that were serious, hard consequences for my husband, if he ever took a step and towards acting out, I didn't care if it was pornography, flirting, whatever. He was out. And that was because it destroyed my brain and my body. Like I, I could not live through that destruction again. And so I had to have those boundaries in order to move forward in anything with him. And some of those boundaries included, you know, polygraphs because I didn't, couldn't trust him. He, he had poker face. I say this all the time. He had poker face. So he learned to not have any affect. So that way, when he was lying also, you wouldn't see it. You wouldn't notice it. And you couldn't distinguish or discern between two different, you know, expressions because there really wasn't much of any expressions. So he learned that really early on that way of being, having duality and lying and telling the truth. And you couldn't distinguish between what was real and what wasn't real. He learned that early on in life. So with all of that being said, I had to grow in some of my character deficiencies and I'm still growing. Like I want to do this work forever because all the work that I do puts me in a place to be able to meet my clients and my children. And even my husband puts me in a position to be a person who's more healed and can show up in a way where other people can, can get their healing. And I can actually hear them, not through the filter of my pain, but through the filter of my healing. <laughs> I can show up as a person who is healthier and in, in character and healthier as a person where I'm not getting triggered by their stories or what they're experiencing. I can be with them in it. And these are the things that most addicts um, or people who are who are chronically choosing infidelity, these people are deficient in all of that. So they don't they don't think to themselves, oh, even in the addiction, they didn't think to themselves, this is going to harm my partner. They actually tell themselves, this won't hurt anybody. 
as long as nobody finds out. So there's a lot of really distorted thinking in the person that's been addicted. And this is the piece that I think becomes the most difficult for somebody who is still married to a recovering addict or a chronic infidel, infidel, I guess you would say, is that we now are saying they're, they're going to be present for us and they're going to show up emotionally. And you guys, I have to tell you, no, like to, to even think that that is something that these people can do is a false uh, expectation. The requirement of that, to think that they can meet us there when they've been numbing it and escaping for decades and decades and decades, we cannot expect that of them. And that is really where some of the pain is. I mean, I I really, we tried this like for years, tried to get my husband to meet me in the place where he could help me heal. And I got to tell you, it did not work. And I was told otherwise, and I thought I would save the marriage. And then I, it, it just like, it occurred to me one day. He can't do it. it. It's not that he, it's not lack of trying. He will tell me all the time. And I bet you, if you're a betrayed partner and you're listening to this, this is going to make sense to you. You're, you're, you think to yourself, he says he wants to, he, he wants to be there for me. He wants to only be, you know, doing this with me. He, he wants to lean in. And there was a point where I was like, I don't want to hear that anymore because you know what? I want to have wings. I want to, I want to have, you know, I want to be in my twenties forever, you know, and then with this wisdom, we can want a lot of things, but just because we want it doesn't make it who we are, who we are in the present is the character that defines us. So if you don't have secure, you know, attachment, you don't know how to ask for your needs. You don't know how to move in and be vulnerable, you don't know how to meet another person in their needs, you are deficient in your character. If you don't know how to have separation without enmeshment or codependency, you are deficient in separation. If you don't know how to grieve, if you don't know how to say, um, you know, I, I, this is painful for me. I, I, I like, I'm so stuck in like this, you know, whole like dis disarray of like, not being able to be in reality, you are deficient in integration. You don't know how to grieve. You are deficient in integration. If you don't know how to have a one uh, to an adult to adult relationship with other people, and you feel like a one down child, or you feel like you have to be up above another person, or you become rebellious, or you talk crap about another leader behind their back, you are deficient in adulthood. And this is what we see in people who've been addicted to all types of things. They are coming in extremely deficient and their partners have been shattered and they're needing somebody who is strong in character. And I have to tell you, they are not going to be strong in character for a long time. Like they need a lot of time to process through all of those deficiencies. They need a long time to go into somatic work where they get in touch with their body and they can feel where those feelings are that have been trapped in those memories that have been trapped. And a lot of them, like, so for example, my husband, we just realized he needed somebody who could give him actual structure in that development of his character, doing it somatically, lots of experientials where he can get in, line up, you know, set up chairs and experiences where we discover what's happening in his body. But that took us forever to figure out, like we're in year four and we just figured out this is what he needs 
to build his character. And so all that, with all of that, when we tell betrayed partners that we need to lean in to this person who is so deficient, we will do it because we want to save the marriage. But that ultimately will not heal all of the shattering inside. What will heal the shattering inside is when we get into a group with a coach or a therapist that does any sort of AEDP work. We're talking about somebody who is building attachment, uh, being, being in betrayal trauma, they are shatterings of attachment. That is what has happened. You have attachment that has been blown out all over the floor where you might've had a level of security before you have none of it. You have disorganized attachment. Come, you know, come, go away, come close, go away, come close. And, and we, we're going crazy inside. And the person that harmed us, they can't, they don't know what to do with that. They don't even know how to even be in touch with their own emotional experience. And they only know how to be defensive. They only know how to deal with emotions in a defensive way, right? Because they were, instead of moving towards their emotional experience, they found something else to deal with it. They moved in towards addiction to avoid it altogether. So defensiveness is no different than anything else that they've been doing this whole entire time. And that's a learned behavior. And it takes a long time to undo that behavior, to undo and create a new neural pathway and dissolve the other one. But I've got to be honest with you. The other piece of this is where we go to these people that have been addicted and say, you need cognitive therapy. Like you need to sit, you know, and, and talk about all this stuff, which is not bad. But at the end of the day, we're talking about people who have numbed and escaped their emotions. So yes, disclosure is good because they're sharing and facing the reality. They're going towards integration from the beginning when they share with the person that they've been hiding from and all the lies that they've told themselves that have kept them there. That is called integration character building. They start with that. But the thing is, is that they have no concept of healthy attachment. And so when we are partners who have been totally shattered by this and we're needing security in our attachment, they don't have the resources to give it. And after all of these years, it just, the awareness of it came to me because I was like, this is so damaging after we're telling people, you know, that they both partners, both the betrayed and the betrayer, they want to work it out, but there's this missing piece between these two areas. And, you know, we are, we are wired to notice people's expressions. We are wired to read people based on what they say with their tone, what they say with their face, and then what comes out of their mouth. It is, we can feel it in our body. And when we are trying to build attachment with somebody who's deficient in it and they're just saying words with no any nothing that's backing that up that puts the partner in a place of continuously feeling the distrust or having to push away the feelings of distrust so it's not good for them because then they're they're not living in their own reality still and they and they long so badly for it to work out they're longing so badly for the marriage to survive this freaking bomb that went off and all the pieces that they're picking up. And so it's so important to understand that this the, the bigger process of all of this 
is not going to be him getting out of the addiction or her getting out of the addiction. The bigger process to this is all of the character deficiencies that are underneath what they've been doing and numbing and escaping with. And so as a partner who has totally recreated myself after betrayal, who has overcome, I mean, how do you, how it literally it, I have so much resilience and I was literally like desperate for anything to heal myself because I knew if I didn't heal myself, I would die. I just knew it. Like a broken heart is a literal thing. And so I had to do whatever I could to heal myself. And there was a point in my journey where I realized learning all the information about why he did what he did was not helping my pain. Uh, learning about the addiction only gave me so much information to know maybe what to look for. But when I was emotionally activated, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't tell you anything from anything because, well, you know what? I'm emotionally activated already and I don't trust him. So what was it that led me to my greatest healing? I'm going to tell you what it was. I stopped focusing on my husband. I stopped focusing on saving the marriage. I stopped focusing on the what ifs, if he goes and acts out again. I stopped putting all of my emotional effort into getting him to understand me. And what I started to do was I started focusing on my pain and my triggers and what the messages were that they were sending to me. Once I started doing that, and I and I didn't do this through cognitive work, you guys, like this is not cognitive work. You can become aware of your triggers. You can become aware of your cognitive distortions and you can push them all away, but they are still trapped in your body until you fully get them out. So that takes somatic experiencing where I can, these are parts of me that are stuck. These are emotions that are stuck. So doing the somatic emotional experiencing work is the only way to get it out of your body, working with other people, having them hold the parts of you that are stuck, giving voice to these parts. Like I, I just had a session last night and I got to tell you, I, uh, I was it for myself. I went into my group session and I have a real strong part of me that can detach. I, I learned that as a kid and I learned how to detach from relationships when they were not safe for me. And this part of me was has been really strong lately, like really wanting me to detach uh, based on what's happening with some of the deficiencies in my husband that he hasn't overcome yet. And so I'm like, okay, this part of me wants to just jet. And I kept pushing it down, pushing it down. Like, no, 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 no. Like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Because this is what we do. You do it and I do it. However, when we stop pushing it away, that's when we get the healing. So I brought it to the group last night and it was scary. It was scary for some people to really hear the real reality of this part. And then one person finally attuned to it and validated the experience of this part. And it got me in touch with the deepest level of grief because really the part that detaches has been a really good part. It it has helped me in so many of areas of my life where I needed to detach because people weren't safe or I could not get my needs met. And so with that being said, 
when she attuned to this part, it was like, and I got in touch with the grief, all of the sudden I had relief. I had relief from the, the, the toxicity that I was having in my body from pushing it down. I had relief from the emotional experiences that I was having, which was anxiety. Um, I had, I, I was able to create new meaning and my husband and I were actually able to sit down last night and come up with a plan. But prior to that, I was just like avoiding the whole thing and avoiding him. And like, I don't want to do this. And the really cool thing is, is like, even though cognitively, I know I need to move towards those parts of me. I still have parts of me that want to avoid and escape. And don't we all, you could be a therapist. I, you guys, I want that do this. I work with therapists. I work with pastors. I work with everybody. And all of us as humans do the same thing because this is what we learn to do as kids. This is how we do it. And so you are not exempt. I don't care where you're at spiritually. I don't care where you're at with your degree. Like it means nothing to me. It means nothing to me because I know that all of us are in a growth process and if you're not in a process, then you're not in a process like you choose not to be. But all of us do the same thing. And so all of this to say, okay, I kind of get on a rabbit trail and I come back, but I'm gonna come back to this. All of that to say is that our healing cannot be relied upon our partners ever. We cannot wait to heal if they heal. We cannot wait to do the work and hope that they're gonna get it that they're going to get our pain, that they're going to get what our experience is. They will never get it at the level that it's felt in our body because their body didn't experience that betrayal. So they'll never get it. Man, I'm getting a revelation on that. They will never get it the way that we want them to because they didn't experience that in their body. And that is the reality that I want to bring to you is that as you are trying to work so hard as a partner to recreate this emotional experience with your partner that betrayed you, they are not going to understand because they never embodied this type of betrayal. They don't know, not because maybe they don't want to. I think all of the betrayers, they long to connect with us in this way. They want to know what it's been like for us, but they don't, they can never reach that because they never embodied betrayal in this way. And so with all of that, like, the expectation for your healing has to come from the work you do and your ability to build your own character and like get through each piece and say, I'm going to do whatever I can. And even if you're not a betrayed partner and you go through all of this stuff within your marriage where you're hoping that your partner is going to heal your childhood stuff, they are not because they didn't experience your childhood. They don't have the capacity to give you what was not given to you. And with that, the toxicity of wanting your partner or like needing the betrayer, your partner that's betrayed you to be that for you healing, what that is going to lead you to is bitterness and discontentment because he is never or she is never going to be able to meet you in that place because they never experienced it in their life or with you. They never experienced the betrayal, so they won't get it. 
And even if you go out and betray them to have them learn it, they still won't be able to get it because it's just from a different place. It's from a different place. And all of this uh, healing work has to come from our ability to face and feel in reality. And the more you don't do that for yourself, the more you tell yourself, well, once he gets healed in the place where he can hold my pain, then I'll heal. The more you tell yourself that, the more stuck you're going to be my friend. And so what am I saying? Your healing is dependent upon you and you alone and you getting the right help. I have gone through so many therapists and coaches and I did not find my healing until I started doing the work on myself and using character formation coaching, which is what I am now a part of and a supervisor for. That is what my modality has been to heal myself and getting all this crap out of my body and healing. And my literal capacity for my healing and other people's healing has gone up exponentially. My capacity for life, my drive for life. I mean, I freaking have a horse that I've been investing in time because I want to purchase a horse. And somehow I've been able to create like this new space for, for myself, a new adventure and really sticking in my values. And all of that came from me doing my own work. We can't rely on our partner to heal. We have to do our own work. And for your marriage, it's going to take time for them to show up in the grief with you because their grief is different than your grief because they didn't embody your pain. They have their own pain, their own betrayal of themselves. That, my friend, is something if you haven't done to someone else or yourself, you don't ever know what that's like. You can't experience that because you didn't experience that. I hope that this gives you some insight on my four-year anniversary of the worst month of my life, where I can share with you what has really helped me. Thanks for listening. If you have found today's podcast helpful, please like, subscribe, and share. If you are interested in coaching with me, go to www.identitylife.coach. And you can also find me on Instagram, identity.life.coach.